Well, good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, thanks for being here. If you're joining us online, I'm glad you decided to do that as well. My name is Nate Gottschall. Like Andy said, I am the student pastor here, and I'm glad to be able to speak to you guys over John chapter 4. And so, you know, earlier today in the 9 o'clock service, my parents came to support me, so I thought if they were going to be here, I had to include them in on the sermon. So that's what I'm going to do. So when I graduated high school, you know, I go off to college, and now I get to do my own thing now. Like, I'm an adult now. I'm no longer under my parents' roof. I can do what I want, right? Like, free man. And that was great. But then when I would go back home to visit, then I had to figure out this new dynamic of, like, I'm an adult now, and I do, you know, I follow my own rules, but now I'm back home. So do I still follow the same rules that, like, do I still follow everything my parents had set before me. It is kind of this weird dynamic I had to figure out. Um, but uh, really, I was asking the question, like, what is the extent of my parents' authority? It's like, do I still, do I still follow the, their curfew for me? Is my dad still the top of the TV controller totem pole? Like, <laughs> does he still have his own chair? I, so... I had to figure this out, and what I decided on was, you know, when I go back home and I'm under their roof, I'll follow their rules, and then when I go back to Lincoln, and I, then I can follow Nate's rules. And then I got married last year, and Nate's rules changed a lot. So now, yeah, I had to figure it out all over again. But I would say figuring out the extent of my parents' authority when I was home affected the way I was living while I was there. And I would say that what affects our life in a greater way is figuring out what we believe about Jesus' authority in our lives. And that's the question we're looking at today is what is the extent of Jesus' authority? What is the extent of Jesus' authority? And like Andy said, we're going to John 4, verse 43 through 54 to look at this question. Now I remember this book of John, it's a historical work written by John the Apostle. So John, he's been a part of Jesus' life. He has seen the things Jesus did. He's observed his character. And he is absolutely convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, worthy to be called Lord, and he wants others to know. And he tells us at the end of the book that is his purpose for writing this. And last week, Andy talked about how Jesus was on his way to Galilee, the place where he's from, but he stopped and talked to a Samaritan woman, someone who is marginalized by her own people. And through this interaction, she comes to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And she goes and tells others in Samaria. And then others believe, and they ask Jesus to stay for two days longer. And many more people believe in him due to their experience with him. And this is where we pick up in verse 43. It says, after the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. 
So in verse 44, in the very first word there is for. It's a transition word for. And it's interesting because it says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So it's not that Jesus is going to Galilee despite the fact they don't honor him. He's actually going there because they don't honor him, and they are his own people. And, you know, that seems like kind of a weird tactic. If I was Jesus' campaign manager, I'd be like, hey, Jesus, like the people in Samaria, they're loving you. Um, why, why are we leaving, going to people who don't honor you? But really, if you look throughout the gospel, this is kind of Jesus' M.O. Like, he continues to offer himself to his own people, the Jewish people, despite whether they're going to accept him or not. And, you know, spoiler, it's his own people who crucify him. But that doesn't stop Jesus giving himself to these people. But why don't the people of Galilee honor him? Why is it that a prophet lacks honor in his own hometown? And I want to see if I can explain that by using a story. So when I was in elementary school, I played basketball, still one of my favorite sports today. But in elementary school, the head coach was my best friend's dad, okay? And this friend of mine, like his, his family was like a second family to me. I'd go over there all the time. So his dad, I knew pretty well. We'd um, like eat meals together. He took me out to their ranch. I'd do some work. We'd ride four-wheelers. We'd have fun. We'd talk, joke all that. I liked his dad. It was, it was fun. So one day we're in basketball practice and we're going through drills and his dad's like, all right, Nate, give me the ball. And I think I'm going to have a little fun. So I'm like, no. And he's like, come on, Nate, give me the ball. And I said, no, thinking I was having a good time. And then his tone changed and I gave up the ball really quick. <laughs> so what happened is I wasn't recognizing his authority as our coach because I was so used to him just in normal life. And so I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't recognizing his authority as our coach. And the Galileans are going through kind of a similar effect here. They don't recognize Jesus' authority because they're familiar with him. They're, they're familiar with Jesus. They're like, yeah, I know Jesus, his parents, Mary and Joseph. Like, yeah, I've I've known him for years. Everybody's going nuts over him. I'll admit, maybe he's done some cool signs, but we know, the people of Galilee, we know he's just another Galilean guy. So that's kind of like some of what they're going through here and their mindset towards Jesus. But then it's interesting, in verse 45, it says that he has no honor but when he comes to Galilee, the Galileans welcome him. So what's with this? This seems kind of weird, kind of confusing, maybe out of place. But we're told the answer to, about this welcoming within the same verse. This welcome doesn't honor Jesus for who he is, but rather it's based on more of an intrigue at his signs and, and just things that he can do. It says they've welcomed him having seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the feast for they too had gone to the feast. And this references us back to John chapter two, verse 22 through 23 that we went through just not too long ago. And this says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, 
many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So these Galileans must have been there. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So Jesus didn't trust their, quote-unquote, belief because he knew that it was belief based on intrigue, just excitement of just what, what he could do. Interested in, hmm, I wonder what he could do for me. This guy's got an interesting power. And so it's based on this intrigue, but not, it's not belief in Jesus as the Messiah. It's not belief in Jesus as the Son of God. It's not belief in Jesus as the omnipotent, the omniscient God. So they love what Jesus could do, but they weren't about to submit to him as Lord. They love what Jesus could do, but they weren't about to submit to him as Lord. As Lord. So the Galileans aren't recognizing Jesus' authority simply because they're not open to it. They're not open to it. They know how life works. They know who Jesus is. They know how he works. And it stops them from seeing who Jesus really is. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I think through that, I feel rather convicted. This, this relates to me as somebody who grew up in the church, grew up in a Christian home, um, knowing, knowing all the Christian answers. You get really used to how Christian life goes. You get used to just kind of the norms of Christian life, and you forget that Jesus wants to be part of every little thing going on in your life. And so you build this familiarity with Christian life, and this familiarity can close us off to Jesus and what he wants to do in our lives. Right? What this can look like sometimes is we, we think, yeah, like I, I have, I know I should pray, I know I should read, I have my, you know, 5 a.m. prayer and maybe I read at this time, or maybe sometimes it looks like when we read the Bible, we're like, oh yeah, I've read this passage before. Like, I know what it says. And we just kind of, we get caught up in this familiarity with uh, the Christian life and our routines, and it can cause us to lose the wonder of having God with us each and every moment and limits the experiences that we could have with him. So you and I can easily fall into a similar mindset that the Galileans had. In the next part of our story, with the entrance and the request of a Roman official, Jesus shows that no matter what you and I's expectations of him are, or what we think is how the normal life works, Jesus is above that. He's not limited by, by what we think by the normalities of life that we perceive. So let's continue in verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water wine. And at, and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So apparently, this Roman official had either witnessed or he had heard that this Jesus guy had 
can, can, can do crazy things. He can, he's done miracles, and he might be able to heal his son. And he sounds a little bit desperate. So he comes down. That's, that's a 15-mile walk, by the way, from Capernaum to Cana. So he's kind of putting all his chips on Jesus. But then Jesus responds to his request, and it might seem kind of odd. But Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, first, when the word you here, it's the, the Greek you here is plural. It's a plural you in the Greek. So he's not, he is speaking to the Roman official, but he's also speaking to all the rest of the Galileans who are around him saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe And really, he's speaking to the heart issue of the people that we just talked about and what was just mentioned in verse 44. He responds to them all, pointing out the flaw in how they view him, saying, you seek signs, you seek for my miracles, but you're not seeking me. You see that you you believe I can do these cool tricks that I have some sort of power, but you're not recognizing me as the son of God who can forgive sins, the son of God who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Once again, the omnipotent, omniscient God, they're not recognizing him as Messiah. I wonder if that's relatable to any of us who you know, we're, we're Christians, we have a relationship with Jesus, but we tend to push him on the back burner and tell, man, we really need him. And then, and then we're like, oh man, something big has come up. I gotta, I gotta bring God into this. But Jesus, as the Messiah, as someone who has a relationship with us, walks through all of life with us. He wants to be part of every little thing, not just the big things. So they have this distorted view of who he is, and namely his authority as a son of God. This statement, this indictment Jesus gives is to everybody, including the official. But apparently, the official is not thrown off at all by this. It seems like he acts like he doesn't even listen. In verse 49, we continue, the official said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This man is begging Jesus, Jesus, you gotta come to my house. You've gotta come see my son on the bed Heal him, Jesus. Please come with me to heal him. And now John doesn't specify here whether the officials, the Roman officials' belief is different than the Galileans' belief. Some people will read this passage and think, well, the Roman official had true faith and the Galileans didn't actually have true faith. That's not specified here. So we can't conclude that. But what we can observe is that Jesus, being full of grace, answers this man's prayer. Full of grace, Jesus answers this prayer. He shows us grace, but he also shows this incredible power that went beyond the expectation of anyone there. The man was begging him, you gotta come to my house and heal my son. And Jesus says, no, I don't need to be there. Go, your son will live. 
He defies the expectations of the man who made the request. And his word, as we're going to see, is final as well. And we see the man, something in him, tells him that Jesus' Jesus' word is final. You know, how many of you guys would have been satisfied with that answer? I'm not a parent, but if I was, I probably would be like, okay, cool, he's going to live, but can you, you know, can you still, come on, let's get back there. Could you at least, like, place your hands on him or something? Or, like, asking questions, when I get back, am I going to need to, you know, poke him with a syringe? He probably wasn't saying that back then. But, you know, (laughs) something, what are the follow-ups, questions? But in verse 50, I love his response. Something that should inspire us. It says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. He took Jesus' word as final, and then he acted accordingly. Is that not what we are called to do as well? And as we continue this story, we see that the faith he put in Jesus was not in vain. Verse 51 says, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So the man's faith, he decided to put in Jesus' word, was then confirmed. He decided, I see what you've said, Jesus. I'm going to believe you and go on my way. And then he got to watch God work. And this confirmed faith led him to give his life to Christ and share with his family. And they also do that. So what does this interaction, this miracle, have to tell us about Jesus' authority? Because that's the question we're asking. Well, I would say that Jesus' authority is final and beyond our imagination. We ask, what is the extent of Jesus' authority? It's final and it's beyond our imagination. We see that Jesus' authority is final, just as he wanted the Galileans to understand he is the Son of God with authority over all things. All he had to do was speak, and the Son was healed. The fever left him. He's over space. It doesn't com- confine him. And then he shows us, John shows us that Jesus' authority is beyond our imagination and that this official was just convinced, like, Jesus, you got to come. And he's like, go, your son will live. I've done it from here. Completely blew this guy's expectations out of the water. So Jesus' authority is final and it's uh, beyond our imagination. What's this mean for us? Well, I would say because Jesus' authority is final... That means you and I, when we read the word of God, when we hear the word of God, we can take him at his word. And then we can live by faith, not by sight. Number two is because Jesus' authority is beyond our imagination, let's not just pray about the big things. 
Let's include him in on the small things, the mundane things, the daily things. Let's get into those a little bit. The first one, if Jesus' authority is final, our response should be like the official in verse 50. He believed the words of Jesus and then he went on living accordingly. He went on his way. But we often read the word of God and we think this is, this is good, solid truth. And then when it comes to living it out, we also, when it comes to making our decisions of what we're gonna do with that truth, we also like to take into account our own perspective, our own fears, our own reasoning, our own expectations of what's gonna happen, depending on if I follow what God has asked me to do or not. And we get really used to letting our thoughts, our expectations, be just as authoritative as God's word. Now, I don't know how many of you guys can go around in a hospital and say, your son will live, your daughter will live. I can't do that. I don't have that authority. None of us do. But we get in this familiarity with life, and we think, hey, my thoughts, my reasoning are just as authoritative as God's word. Let me give you one example from my life and how this really has impacted me. My whole life, all throughout, I have always struggled with self-worth, self-hate. It's just something that I have struggled with. And I've had to learn that when I read Psalm 139 and I see the words God speaks of, I have knit you together in your mother's womb. I have made you intricately. I have, I have seen the days. I have laid a path before you. I know all the plans of your life before you've walked them. I've learned that I've got to take those words as true. Not what I feel, not what I think, not what I get from all the messages from the world around me. I've got to take God's word as true. And when I can do this, then I can go forward in confidence knowing God has made me as I am and I can focus more on other people or focus more on him rather than be so internally focused on me and my mistakes and all that. That's just one example from my life of how it greatly impacts me when I can take God's word as final, take him at his word. And I wanna ask, what is it for you? What promise of God, what truth of God do you desperately need to take as final? It is as he says it is. Is it you know, financial security? Is it finding significance in life? Is it, you know, forgiving yourself or forgiving others? Maybe it's giving up some of your, some of the things you worry about, some of your stresses, trusting that God is gonna take care of you when you seek him first. I'll challenge you guys, when you read this week, recognize that Jesus' authority, and by relation, the Bible's authority is final. You can read those words as absolutely true and worth living out. Secondly, if Jesus' authority is beyond our imagination, then there is no limit to what we ought to be praying for. The floodgates are just burst wide open with, wow, if I... If you're willing to answer any prayer, if you're willing to follow me through the whole life, 
Why am I only praying about the big things? Another way to think about this is his ability to intervene in your life is beyond what you can imagine. And his desire to intervene in your life. And because of this, I would challenge us to look at how we pray. To look at what we're praying about. And I would challenge us to pray not just for big things, but the little things, the mundane things. Such things as um, on your way to work, deciding to, to pray that you would be a light to your coworkers. You know, a daily thing like that. Such things as, God, would you, would you show me joy through you today? Such things as that. If your child is sick, this, this may not be a crazy bad sickness, but just praying for a, a speedy, quick recovery. Maybe it's you're going out to play pickleball, and you're like, God, please don't let me pull a hamstring. <laughs> but actually, in reality, like you're just going, hang, going to hang out with friends, pray that God would be glorified in that time. Pray for the little things that stress you out, even if you're embarrassed that you have to pray about it. Like, bring God into that. We're told pretty clearly in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Bring him in on the little things. You know, I have a, uh, a good friend of mine who knows a lot about cars, and I do not know hardly anything about cars, okay? So one day I'm driving, and my car, it dies on me, and I don't know why, but there's smoke coming out the hood, and I'm like, okay, this isn't good. So I made it home, and I called this guy, and I just asked, hey, can you just come and, like, just take a look at it? Just give me a diagnosis. Like, just tell me what's wrong so then I know what, like, what to do after that where I can take the car. And so he's like, yeah, sure, I'll come over and take a look. So he comes on over, takes a look at my car. Of course, he figures it out in like two seconds, and I'm amazed. But after that, he goes, all right, hop in my car. Let's head on over to the auto, uh, auto store. We'll buy the parts, and I'll fix it for you. And I was like, what? No, you were just, what, really? I thought you were just going to tell me what was wrong. And he's like, yeah, sure, it's easy. So instead of spending hundreds of dollars, I spent 30 bucks on some parts, came back, spent some time with a friend, learned something that I probably have forgotten by now. But I learned something new, and he fixed it up for me. And it's good to go, like better than it was before. I was like, wow, I had no clue you could do this. And it was just like, in the beginning, all I wanted was for him to just diagnose the problem. But he went beyond my expectation. And he was like, no, I'll, I'll fix it for you. And I would argue that Jesus will surprise us in the same type of way when we choose to include him on the little things in our life and the mundane things. And I'm not saying don't pray for the big things, but just include him. See what he's gonna do. He tends to go beyond our expectations. Guys, it is so, so incredibly easy for us to just continue living in this familiarity of life and getting set in our own thoughts and the 
what's, what's normal, what's gonna happen, how do I worship God, I just do it the same way. But could we be a people who recognize that Jesus' authority is final and it's beyond our imagination, so we will take him at his word. We will truly live by faith, not by sight. And we will include him on even the little things, on the mundane things, trusting that he cares, trusting that he could work beyond our own expectations. And then we just get to watch him work. And that's maybe the most fun. Let me pray for you guys. Father God, I want to thank you for your word, your faithfulness, the fact that when it comes to your word, we can trust it as absolutely true. You have never failed, you never will. God, I pray right now you'd be bringing up, God, what things do you want us to be including you on in our life? God, what truth or promise is it that we've got to lean into your word is final? And help us this week to see those things as we go, reading your word, interacting with others. Draw us near to you, Lord. We thank you for this morning and your word. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.